This episode brought to you by Audible, your audio book source with over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. And today you can receive a free audiobook and 30-day free trial by visiting audibletrial.com slash richtakeonsports. So don't wait. That's audibletrial.com slash richtakeonsports for your free audiobook and 30-day free trial. Listen to your audiobook anywhere, anytime. Taking sports to another level. Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Exploring the latest headlines and going behind the scenes with in-depth interviews. Hearing personal stories and the impact of sports in their lives. Here's your host, Richmond Weaver. What time is it? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Rich Take on Sports. I am your host, Richmond Weaver, and glad you're listening through whatever format that might be. And thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen. And you're listening to episode 22. Now, I don't want to waste too much time before we get into the rich spotlight with our guest this episode, and that just happens to be the current voice of the Atlanta Falcons, Mr. Wes Durham. But for any of those Georgia Tech fans out there, you know he's done more than that. But just a reminder, you can subscribe to the podcast through whatever platform that you like, and that's either Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. And the easiest way is just to visit our website, richtakeonsports.com, and you can catch up on any previous episodes, and there you can also subscribe directly from the website. So let's get running with this episode with the Rich Spotlight. Shining brightly to share the stories of people in sports. This is the Rich Spotlight. Our guest this episode is Wes Durham, and Wes is now in his 14th season being the radio play-by-play voice of the Atlanta Falcons, and he is also entering his fifth year doing football and basketball play-by-play for the ACC on Fox Sports South and the ACC Network. Now, many of you also remember that from 1995 to 2013, Wes was the radio voice of Georgia Tech and was on the call for more than 750 football and basketball games. In October of 2015, Wes was inducted into the Georgia Tech Sports Hall of Fame for his 18-year career with the Yellow Jackets, and he's also a 10-time winner of the Georgia Sportscaster of the Year by the National Sports Media Association. And of course, he's the son of Woody Durham, who was the voice of the Tar Heels in football and basketball for 40 years before he retired in 2011. But Wes has been able to create his own path. And when we caught up this summer, one of the things that I wanted to know was what is his offseason like and what he's currently doing this summer? <laughs> well, um, it's a completely different deal than what is going on uh, from about mid-August to mid-March. There's no question about that. Um, right now, believe it or not, um, <laughs> it sounds funny, but this particular summer has been a little different than most because I have 18-year-old twins from my first marriage who were uh, headed to college. My daughter, in fact, is already in school uh, going through a summer session prior to the fall semester at Florida State. Um, and she's going to be in the College of Social Sciences and Public Policy. And my son is, uh, is going to be a little closer to home. He's, he's going to be a freshman at Kennesaw. So 
I am all orientated out, to be honest with you, Richmond. I have uh, <laughs> I've been to the <laughs> I've been to Florida State's campus for three days and Kennesaw's for a full day, and and I'm the I am the proud parent, proud father of two uh, freshmen on college campuses this fall. So I have, after years and years of, uh, of working on college campuses and doing games on college campuses, I've now been orientated on college campuses. So. Um, it was a different dynamic for sure and a lot different than 33 years ago when I went to Elon as a freshman in 1984 when we didn't even have an orientation. You showed up two days before classes started. And, of course, Elon was a small enough school that you could kind of figure it out in the first month. But, uh, no, it's been a unique summer. But uh, to your point, I, I spend um, uh, a good bit of time in the off season, And the off season really for me, if, if I were to – categorize it, Richmond, starts after we finish the ACC baseball tournament Memorial Day weekend. So I go from the end of May to, oh, the third week in July or second week in August, depending on how NFL training camp schedules work, um, doing things with my family, um, catching up with friends, because quite frankly, once the season starts, it's you got to stay on schedule. And so uh, we do a good bit of that. Victoria, my wife, and I uh, always try and connect with some close friends of ours, both in the area and, and beyond. Uh, but at the same time, uh, the one thing I do like to do, and I try and do it as much as possible in the off season is play golf. And so I, uh, I'm guilty on social media. You'll see a lot of golf in my timelines on Instagram or on Twitter or even Facebook. And, um, so that's, that's fun for me. It's a great way to meet people. I, I count some of my closest friends who I've met actually through playing golf. And that's a, that's a nice way to change the gears entirely from what I do during the course of the year, for sure. Now, with that said, the off season and getting to play golf and hopefully mm-hmm. your handicap is going down <laughs> from yeah. that perspective. But what about any preparation that you continuously do during the summer for the upcoming season? What does that look like? I do. I, I, it's, it's a lot different than in the season because in the season, you're just trying to stay on schedule with the work you've got and the games you've got. So you become almost singularly focused on the teams that you're going to have on Saturday and Sunday, in my case, in the fall. And then once basketball kicks in in November, you know, it becomes a bit of a blur and people look at me sometimes like I'm crazy, but really then staying on schedule and, and keeping your preparation organized is, is really the most important thing you do. And preparation for me, Richmond, is not just the part that goes with the game. Uh, it's travel. It's, uh, you know, those kind of logistics and things like that. And people ask all the time, well, you must have somebody help you with your travel. And, you know, with Raycom Sports and the people that do the ACC network stuff with Fox, it, it works out pretty good. They have somebody that that sets everything up, but I send them what I need. Uh, so in essence, I'm doing the travel, to be honest with you. Uh, because when I started doing this in 2004, when uh, the Falcons approached me about doing play-by-play, and I started doing both Saturday and Sunday games, uh, the first year I kind of let somebody handle some of it. And then I finally realized, well, if I ever get in real trouble, I need to be the one who set all this up so I know how it works not just reading it from a sheet, if you will, of, of somebody else's work. So I started doing it by myself in 2005, and it's uh, the last 12 years has served me better. So that's really the way I've stayed up with it, to be honest. So I do spend time, though, working on teams. I mean, I, I take about three weeks off, but I'll spend more time reading articles. I read some books in the off season. 
that are pertinent to my work, to be honest with you. I've read a book that Steve Delphon has written years ago called Talking Irish this offseason, reading parts of that. It's a uh, basically a written history of Notre Dame football. And I'm looking at it not because of Notre Dame this season. I'm looking at it as kind of a history of Notre Dame's existence into football. And I think one of the burning questions we have in the ACC is if Notre Dame is ever going to join the league in football. And, and so I read that book on the advice of someone in the, in the South Bend area to try and get an inside look, at least philosophically, of the way Notre Dame thinks. Because I, I believe that uh, here in the next couple, three years, there's going to be a turning point where Notre Dame, I think, will have to be in a conference in order to compete for a college football playoff championship. I would agree with you. And do you think that conference will be the ACC? Well, it has to be. Uh, the right of, uh, yeah, the way the way it's set up in the agreement with the Atlantic Coast Conference, if they're to join a league in the next 30 year, or 20 years from 2016 to 2036, they have to join the ACC. So that was part of my interest in reading the book was, you know, I want to see if there's some some dynamics there that uh, that we can take advantage of, at least from my educational experience. Now, we don't have any Notre Dame football on our package, but I think it is a conversation that comes up enough in, in ACC football and basketball season, and certainly in the offseason when we've got nothing else to talk about, um, <laughs> that, uh, that I think is pretty important. So I, I decided to start reading the book, and I'm not reading it word for word. I'm looking at certain sections of it to, to try and see if I can glean any new information about what makes Notre Dame tick, to be honest with you. So now, speaking of history, let's go back into your history <laughs> uh, and your first memories of sports. And oh, wow. Yeah, can you walk us through what your earliest memory of sports and how you became involved in sports? My first memory was uh, I was five or six years old, and uh, ironically, Danny Manning and I played in the same uh, basketball recreation league in Greensboro, North Carolina at Lewis Recreation Center. And we still laugh about that today because I played on a team called the All-Stars that never won a game um, when I was six years old and in the first grade. Uh, and we moved between the summer of my first and second grade year to another part of town. And I still played one more year or a couple more years at Lewis Rack before I went downtown to play in the YMCA league. And but I remember playing basketball. Basketball was always the sport I played uh, growing up. I played, believe it or not, Richmond, I only played one year of football. I played my sophomore year in high school. I enjoyed it. Uh, but I had an opportunity to get a job in radio the summer after my sophomore year in high school. And I can remember telling the football coach who wanted me to be part of their offseason program in the summer. I said, Coach Horley, look, I appreciate this, but I think I'm going to be playing radio a lot longer than I'm going to be playing football. And um, in all honesty, my football career lasted one fall and I had a great time. And I, but I played basketball from the time I was five through my senior year in high school. And um, it was uh, sports was always fun for me. Um, I enjoy being a part of a team. I consider what we do on Saturdays and even more so on Sundays where we've been fortunate with the Falcon broadcast Richmond to have basically the same people in the booth now. Dave Archer and I will start our 14th year in August doing the Falcon games. And basically for 12 of those 14 years, we've had the same people in the booth. So, and, and Arch talks about it better than I can in that we like being part of a team. Um, there are no stars on the team or, or it's, uh, you know, big team, little me, like you used to see on the shirts, I guess. It's, it's important to be a good team. And uh, we feel like we've got a really good team doing the NFL on Sundays. 
And I'm very fortunate to be on a great team with Raycom and Fox doing the ACC football and basketball package. I feel very blessed to work, to make the transition from working at a school to going to television and being on a team. So that, uh, those team concepts that, that I had as a kid growing up and, you know, my high school basketball career is not very elegant in terms of accomplishments, but what I do remember most about it is the friendships and the people that you played with. And my high school basketball coach had a, had a big impact on my life. He was a guy that, that helped me understand perspective beyond sports. Uh, he was a math teacher in high school at Apex outside of Raleigh. And John Griggs is now, uh, I think he just stepped down as the chair of the math department at NC State. But I see him across the floor whenever I go to Raleigh here in the last 10 or 15 years to do games because he coordinates the stat crew at PNC Arena and also does some stuff for him in football. But yeah, basketball and being on a team, was a, that was a big part of, of me growing up for sure. When you had that opportunity of the radio job mm-hmm. in high school, yeah. was it, were you already thinking that I want to be in radio? Obviously, your dad is Woody Durham, the voice of the Tar Heels. When was it that you felt that, all right, I, I definitely want to have a broadcasting career? Well, we all have our moments, right, in athletics where we realize where the horizon is, if you will. In a lot of ways, I was very fortunate. I was six feet tall and 185 pounds at 12 years old. So I kind of thought, well, you know what? This basketball thing might be able to pay some pay some bills down the road. Now, I'm thinking that early in life. Now, a very immature thought at 11 or 12, 13, maybe to be thinking, well, you know what? I could this this might be good if I'm willing to work hard enough and, and my game develops enough, maybe I could play somewhere, you know? And that ended when I was 14 because I, I went to several camps when I was 14. And I didn't have to go to several camps. I just went to the right one to to know that my career was, <laughs> was going to have a ceiling. I uh, You may remember the name because you, you followed ACC basketball, I'm sure. You may remember the name of Richard Morgan. He played at Virginia. And Richard Morgan basically dunked it on me uh, in a in a game at, at Carolina's basketball camp in Chapel Hill uh, the summer I was 14 years old. So in 1980, when I was feeling pretty good about myself, I went to Carolina camp and Richard Morgan, who was a year behind me, basically dunked it on me. And I said then, I said, you know what, this might come to a quicker end than you think. And I realized then, because I was playing at a at a higher level with older guys, that it was going to take a lot more work than I thought. And I wasn't growing anymore. I mean, I was maybe an inch taller, uh, maybe two, but, uh, but I kind of have a, re- I had a revelation at that camp and I came home and, and my dad, who was incredibly supportive as busy as he was still was, uh, was, you know, interested in how it was going. And I said, dad, believe it or not, I said, I'm not sure I can, I can do a lot more physically, you know, to, to make it to the next level. And I said, the thing I keep coming back to, and I had thought a lot about this was, was getting into radio television and, and particularly sports radio or sports television. It didn't mean I had to do play by play. I could have been a sports anchor or a newspaper writer. You know, I just wanted to be around sports and Richmond, to be honest with you, um, I have some very, very close friends in this business who have been friends of mine for a long, long time. Stan Cotton at Wake Forest and I've been friends for 33 years. Um, and, and we talk about it. Stan tore up a knee as a senior at Farragut high school outside of Knoxville. He was being recruited by Auburn. He played high school ball with Bill Bates, who's of course a great player in the NFL for years. And I, I think all of us have sports dreams 
but then life reality steps in. And some of us have a, have a fall back into this industry. And that was kind of where I was. And fortunately for me, I was very blessed in, in many respects that I was pointed to a path at a young age. So at 14 or 15 years old, I basically decided I wanted to be in sports, but either behind the microphone, behind the camera, in front of the camera, doing something um, as a profession. And that's how, that's how at 16 years old, I got an internship working at a radio station, WRAL-FM in Raleigh just as a, as a gopher, basically the summer after my sophomore year. But I knew that everything I did every summer from that point on was going to have to count if I were going to have any sort of career. So that became my singular focus. And then I just went to play in high school basketball after my sophomore year. And that was rewarding enough for me, uh, especially at the end, we had a pretty good year, but, uh, but I think that, uh, I'm very content with what my athletic career was or wasn't, I guess. And, uh, and where my, uh, where my professional career has been able to go, for sure. After high school, you go to Elon yeah. and then major you know, in communication. Mm-hmm. And what's the pathway after that? Well, one side note about my academic career was that I didn't have a very distinguished one out of high school. Uh, I was a lousy high school student, to be honest. And so Elon was good enough to let me in, to be honest. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and... Um, I, I laugh today, but in all seriousness, my degree gets more valuable every year because of the way the institution has, uh, has gained steam and recognition and notoriety over the last 20 years for sure. But they let me in school and I, I was a bit of a different student in college than I was in high school because I saw, I saw the focus that it would take and the college schedule worked a little better for me, I guess, or at least the concepts than the high school schedule did. But I, I had a great experience at Elon. They were just starting communications, which is now uh, one of their bell cow majors in schools on campus. And to be honest, Richmond, I got involved in the radio broadcast my freshman year and was a part of 150 football and basketball broadcast in four years. So I ended up having a college experience that would be hard to replicate. There are other more prestigious schools for sports broadcasting, Syracuse, Missouri, Northwestern, um, you know, Georgia, places like that, Carolina at the time. But I wouldn't trade my college experience for anything in the world. And it was a it was a wonderful experience. But I was left as a senior to try and find a job. And, you know, the late 80s in terms of sports broadcasting, there just wasn't a lot of movement. I mean, uh, I'd get some of the trade magazines that my dad had at the time and look through them and see about jobs and apply for things I knew I'd never get. I applied for the New Jersey Nets play-by-play job after my sophomore year in college one year just as a flyer you know, things of that nature. And, and finally, my dad told me going into my senior year, he said, one of the things that I would tell you to do is you need to start making connections and networking with people. And one of the people that I, I connected with was Jeff Charles, who is, you know, the longtime voice of the East Carolina Pirates, who was just coming into Eastern North Carolina at the time to start doing the Pirate Games after years at Virginia Tech. And I connected with Jeff in the spring of my senior year at Elon. And we began a communication about, you know, just how, you know, I I sent him my tape. He listened, thought it was pretty good, gave me some excellent uh, things to work on and that type thing. And then realistically after that, Jeff and I stayed connected and he actually called me in July of 1988. I was at my parents' house and didn't have a job and was really kind of frustrated at the time that things had not gone better after meeting with a lot of people in spring of my senior year, Richmond. And Jeff had worked at Virginia Tech, so he he knew of an opening and a position they were creating at Radford University in Virginia. 
And he told the people at Radford they ought to hire me. And that was unbelievable. And ultimately, I got a job interview and, and got the opportunity as a you know guy out of college. And they had talked to some people who had been in the business for a little bit longer, who was at other schools, that type thing. But they hired me. And to be honest with you, it was three years there and it was it was a lot of experience and a lot of things I learned, you know, about being a professional broadcaster as a full time job. And, you know, you did a lot of other things that were outside the job description, but it was a very rewarding situation and and one I was grateful to have. And then, you know, it kind of started from there, to be honest with you. From an outside perspective, many people would think that you got an entry because of your dad. Mm -hmm. And that obviously was not necessarily the case, but what type of involvement or what type of advice was he giving you as you were trying to find a job? Huge. He was unbelievable. I mean, you know, my dad was, uh, and still is to a degree, uh, a very big influence in what I do uh, for a career. Um, You know, he was was getting concerned because here I had done all these things in college and I had spent summers being very productive. I spent two summers working in television at WFNY Television in Greensboro when I was in college. I'd done a half season of minor league baseball on radio. I mean, I had a really, really good resume coming out of college. And so, you know, my dad was, uh, <laughs> he was, he was a little sidetracked that, you know, I know he's my son, but I would, I would consider talking to this guy if he weren't my son. And so, uh, he was incredibly supportive, but we got down into late July and early August, uh, and I interviewed at Radford and I wasn't sure what they were going to do to be honest. And I came home and told him, I said, I can do the job, but I'm not sure if they're going to hire somebody right out of school. They seem very concerned about me being 22 years old, to be honest with you. But, you know, I, my dad's influence Richmond meant a couple things. Number one, I knew people were going to say, well, he might only get this job because of he's Woody Durham's son or whatever. But I also knew too, that if I was Woody Durham's son, that I had to do it better than just a guy who really wasn't connected to anybody else in the industry. So I've always had that mindset, even today. Um, you know, when I made the move four years ago to go to television after 18 years at Georgia Tech, I knew there were some people who might say, well, you know, he's going to TV because he's Woody's son. And, you know, people think he's tied to other schools in the league or whatever. So I, I made that commitment. That's been almost, uh, you know, part of my natural DNA now as a broadcaster is I've got to stand on my own. Your name may help you get in the door, but you only keep the job based on your own work. And it's interesting. I, I've become friends with a lot of guys whose dads were successful uh, doing the same thing they are currently doing. And and almost unilaterally, everybody agrees that, that that's the one thing you inherit when you decide to get in this business is do that. And so I think that's a, I think that's just the natural progression you make as a, as a professional if you choose to do the same thing your dad did and if he did it at a very high level. So is that one of the things that continues to motivate you, mm. the fact that I, I want to be as good or better than my dad. I don't know that I want to be as good or better. I want to be somebody who people think of as doing a couple things. Number one, I think it's very important to carve your own reputation and carve your own niche. I mean, there's certain things that I do that that might be a lot different than my dad. But when I do a ball game, my preparation principles are really based on his. And so I feel confident if I'm prepared that that I'll do a pretty good job. Now, we may have things that happen during the game, and it may not be exactly 100 percent, you know, to the letter. But at the same time, I feel like I'm prepared and I feel like I've got a good grasp of what's going on. 
The second part of it is, and it goes back to my dad telling me to reach out to other people. A lot of people were very kind to me early in my career, whether I was in college or at Radford or even at Marshall, uh, where I spent a year after my three years at Radford before going to Vanderbilt, Richmond. And to be honest with you, I spend as much time as I can trying to connect and help younger guys in this business because I believe the pay it forward principle is critically important. I think that there were a lot of people that helped me. And, and so I'm trying, you know, wherever I can to help other people if it's, you know, if it's something I feel confident uh, or comfortable doing. Uh, there's sometimes I get questions and things. I just, I, I just don't know enough about it, to be honest. And so I might refer them to somebody else or, or whatever the case may be. I had a young lady call me a month ago who's trying to make a move in this industry. And I, I couldn't see it from her perspective because I really didn't have her experience. She had done some other things, sports anchoring, which I've never done a great deal of. She'd done some sideline reporting, things like that. So I referred her to somebody I worked with. And so that worked out better, you know, and, and I think that's a big part of this industry too. And, you know, you asked me about today, you've got to stay competitive in this business. There are way too many people. There's way too many open books and open opportunities at times that you need to, you know, you still need to check yourself a little bit every year going into a season and make sure you're ready to go. Because, if, you know, if you slip or, or maybe don't have a great year, uh, you know, there, there's not a lot of people standing around going, oh, we feel sorry for you. We'll give you another shot. You know, I mean, they may they may want to bring somebody else in the next year if you don't give them your best uh, every time you put it on. Now, how do you stay competitive then? Oh, I think about what I do from a preparation standpoint. It goes back to the team concepts of our productions. You know, here in the next week, I'm getting ready to have two meetings, one on the television side and one on the radio side, where we're going to spend probably anywhere from uh, on the TV side, we'll spend at least a couple hours in discussion. On the radio side with the Falcon broadcast, we're going to spend anywhere from four to six hours uh, talking about what we do. And I'll incorporate those thoughts in a bigger team picture to some of the things I've done here in the offseason that I've thought about in terms of my preparation. I, you know, I always try and, and see if there's a more efficient way to put my material together. Not that I'm trying to cut corners, but I'm trying to see if there's a, a unique way that I can add more to what I'm doing uh, without it being more time consuming in my weekly routine. So now, what is it about play-by-play -play versus just being a sports anchor or something that drew you more to doing play-by-play -play and announcing? Well, I, I still think there's a tremendous art to play-by-play -play on the radio. I think the ability for somebody to listen to you and you to convey not only the, the basic elements, you know, time, score, name a player, that type thing, but the creativity of describing it. And that really did fascinate me. And it's fascinating me about my dad's ability and the ability of dozens of other guys who did it at such a high level for a long, long time. You know, I used to travel with my dad to a lot of games and stand behind him at Keenan Stadium as a kid or at Carmichael Auditorium and, and that type thing. And Richmond, to be honest with you, I fell in love with that creativity, that art form. So I really didn't spend a lot of time trying to be a TV sports anchor. I was, I was more locked in when I got to college about being a play-by-play -play guy. I really was. I, I, I felt like that would be a, an unbelievable experience to have. And, and believe it or not, the, the feeling I had as a, as a first-year guy out of college doing Radford against California, Pennsylvania in the very first basketball game I ever did in December or November of 1988 is, is the way I felt when I did 
ACC tournament in Brooklyn this year for the ACC Network and Raycom. I mean, it's exactly the same, you know, adrenaline pumping play feeling. And it's funny, I have a conversation with guys who go from playing to doing games on a regular basis. And the first thing I tell them, I said, this is just like playing, except you're going to feel completely different. And by the end of the game of the first run, they oftentimes look at me like they're completely worn out. And I said, what's the problem? They said, God, this is as bad. This is worse than playing. And I said, why is that? And they go, because it moves so fast. And I'm thinking, eh, it doesn't move real fast, but you're you're being taxed mentally more than you're being taxed physically like you do when you play. And so I, I still get that same energy. And to be honest with you, uh, as I get older, that energy is slower to burn. But by the time I get to August 10th, I'll be gunned up for a preseason game. And there's no reason most people would be gunned up for an NFL preseason game. But when the Falcons play the Dolphins in in Miami Gardens on August the 10th, I'll be ready to do the game. It'll be fun, and I'll be excited about doing it. And that's that means that I still got the juice to to put the work in and and uh, and go forward with it. In your career path, you're you at Radford, and then you go to Vanderbilt, and then ultimately to Georgia Tech. Did you have a mindset of these are the this is the path I want to go, or was it just a situation where these opportunities presented themselves and you felt it was a good fit? Well, the natural progression for me was Radford didn't have football and wasn't going to add football at any point. So I knew that I wanted to get to a football basketball situation. And Radford was a great place to start. I'm grateful for the unbelievable support we got. But, you know, Richmond, the best thing probably to to never happen to me was I finished second for the Wake Forest job in 1990. And... So when I finished second for the Wake Forest job in 1990, they hired Mac McDonald. And I didn't get that job, and I was crushed. And it, it long story short, I made connections, though, with people who were impressed enough by my work and thought I had enough potential that they were willing to front me on other opportunities. And Ben Sutton, Jr., who is the, I guess, emeritus chairman of IMG College and created ISP Sports, was the guy who I talked to about the Wake Forest job. And Ben has become a good friend, uh, a mentor, and a guy who has supported my career throughout. And, uh, you know, he, he told the people at Marshall about me. And I went to Marshall to work for the school. It wasn't a, a rights deal or anything. Ben was just doing consulting. ISP had not really even been formed uh, at the level it is now, for sure, which is IMG College. And so... Ben was an incredible support for me, and he told Lee Moon at Marshall about me. And then, to be honest, Vanderbilt came out of nowhere. I had been in Huntington one year. Charlie McAlexander was leaving Vanderbilt to go to Kentucky to be part of the package that was going to try and replace the legendary Kay Wood Ledford, who had retired as the voice of the Wildcats in 1992. And I, uh, Paul Houlihan, who had been an assistant athletic director at North Carolina and their first ever strength coach with the football program. Eddie Fogler was a basketball coach. You can see all the Carolina ties. And so one thing led to another. And I think Vanderbilt hired me for a couple of reasons. One, I would take it because they weren't paying a lot of money. And two, because I was a younger guy that they felt like they could help build their brand a little bit. It was a very controversial time for Vanderbilt in the city of Nashville. Uh, Paul was a bit of a lightning rod as an athletic director. Jerry Denardo, the football coach, had, had had some media battles, and they wanted a radio guy that would kind of be in their pocket. I wouldn't say in their pocket, but be on their side, maybe the better term. And so 
I went to Vanderbilt as a, uh, didn't work for the school. I was a contract employee. So I realized right away what all that stuff was about going from a university employee at Marshall to a contract employee. And then realized I kind of took a pay cut to go to Vanderbilt for Marshall, but it was too late. I'd already taken the job, but I, Vanderbilt was unbelievable. And it was three really good years. And had I known Richmond, to be honest with you, it just shows you sometimes that you make moves, but you can't base it on what you think about right now or what you can project in the future in certain situations. I, um, I went to Georgia Tech in 1995, and the reason I went to Georgia Tech in 1995 was because of the Atlanta market, Georgia Tech, and the ACC. And then the ability to do the same games with my dad uh, in the same league was, uh, was really kind of important to me. And so what was that like the first time you got to do a game <laughs> side by October, side with your dad? O- October 14th, 1995. He literally, the only thing that separated our booths was a big piece of glass at Grand Field. And it's probably as nervous as I've been, uh, doing a ball game. And, uh, I had dinner with my dad the night before the game. <laughs> that was, that was interesting. And Georgia Tech won the game, come from behind fashion in the fourth quarter. So I knew he wouldn't be happy. But it was it was fun for us. We had a lot of notoriety that week, father-son doing a game in the ACC. Uh, there were some historians of the league that had said this was the first time it was happening. And ironically, Georgia Tech won the football game and both basketball games that year. That was unbelievable. So I immediately went to a 3-0 advantage on my dad. <laughs> um, and... Uh, and he kept track of wins and losses in games we did together until he retired in 2011. And uh, it was it was fun. We uh, those were always very special games. The one the person who got the most anxious about those games, though, Richmond, was not my dad and not me. It was my mom. My mom did not like Carolina Georgia Tech games because she always I mean, she was hoping upon hope there'd be ties. And I said, Mom, they're not going to be any ties. I mean, somebody's going to win, somebody's going to lose. And she goes, oh, I just, I, I just, I don't want either one of you to lose. And I said, well, I'm sorry. That's the way this works. So, but she used to get, uh, she used to get worked up about it pretty good. Now, who ended up with the better win-loss record? Oh, my God. The story on this is, uh, <laughs> is, is, is pretty unbelievable. Georgia Tech beat North Carolina in 2011 in my, la- in my dad's last ACC tournament. And in the overall record of football and basketball, Georgia Tech came out with one more win, if you can believe it. When they entered that game, my dad and I were interviewed at the tournament. And again, people did not know my dad was retiring. I did. And they interviewed us at the tournament, and they asked him about it. And he said, oh, yeah, well, we're tied. So whoever wins this game is going to take the lead. And I thought to myself, well, this is it. I mean, because I know he's retiring. Nobody else does. And so Georgia Tech won the game. And I walked three seats down after the game was over and hugged him. And uh, I said, sorry. And he goes, nope. He goes, that's actually very appropriate. And uh, I still think about that because that was a uh, that was kind of one of those things where we knew something that nobody else at 23,000 in the Greensboro Coliseum knew. And I think about it now more than I thought about it then because of uh, because of the six years he's been retired. Of course. Now, so what is it like you spend so much time at Georgia Tech, you know, 18 years and Mm -hmm. your dad, you know, 40 years at North Carolina. So I've always been fascinated. Do you get emotionally connected with these teams, spending so much time with them? Sure you do. And Um, what's that like? Well, it's 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 awesome. 
I mean, it's it's one of the real rewarding pieces of this business. The longer you stay at a place, the more you become tied to it. And so therefore, when you retire, as my dad did, or some of these other legendary guys that have done games, there's that gap. And and the longer you stay, the more generations you connect to, Richmond. That's the other thing people don't think about now. So when I left after 18 years, you know, there were a lot of people that said a lot of really nice things. And a lot of the former players and coaches reached out. And here in the last couple of years, I've been to more events than I was the first two of former players and coaches. And, it, and it's been very rewarding And people come up and, hey, remember this time or remember that time and, and that kind of thing. And, you know, and I've gotten dinner, you know, with, with several former players and coaches, and it's, it's been great. And really the thing I miss the most, and I think my dad would tell you the same thing, is the connection with the players and coaches. But it is rewarding when you're in a situation like my dad, who retired, that you really don't realize the impact you've had until after you do retire because you're so focused on your job. You really don't connect with the fans in a, in a very public or day-to-day way like you do when you're retired. And more often than not, I, I would tell you easily since 2011, the most, the most rewarding piece and heartfelt piece for my dad has been connecting with Carolina fans who listened to him for years. And even though I only did 18 years at Georgia Tech, it's still one of the things that, that I feel very blessed to have had. And you do become part of the legend. You become part of the legacy. You become part of the history. And, and that's big. But at the same time, you know, when you stay that long, you, you can't help but do it that way because you're tying, you know, think of it. If your grandfather was a fan, your father was a fan, and the son became a fan, well, that's three generations and then the branches off of that. So you're bound to connect to people. And if you do it at a high level and you're blessed enough to be there to have great moments and great teams, uh, it it only reverses back to even more of a connection with fans than you would have if your team was just so-so or what have you. Now, how difficult is that to be objective when you're calling the game, when you're getting emotionally connected with these teams? I guess it can be. But philosophically, you always have to remember that you're trying to do a really good job it's funny, I, I've told this story a lot since February at the Super Bowl. My dad told me two things when I got in this business. My senior year in high school, my senior year in college, I had just done my last college broadcast, and the ACC tournament was the next week in Greensboro. And we had lunch in Greensboro, and he said, and, and Elon had lost on an unbelievable shot, and the game went to overtime, and this, that, and the other. And he said, How was that? I said, Dad, it was awful. I mean, it was just terrible. Here they are, they're on the verge of winning. Literally, a guy took a rebound of a missed free throw, Richmond, and threw it to the other end of the floor, weak-handed, and it went in. I mean, and that tied the game and sent it to overtime, and there was no chance Elon was going to win after that, okay? I mean, it was it's the most bizarre thing to this day, one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen in person. But long story short, my dad said, well, you know, there are a couple things about this business you always need to keep in mind. And I said, what's that? He said, well, first of all, if you stay in it long enough, you're going to see everything once, okay? Things you don't even think are humanly possible, you're going to see. And so he's been right about that. Number two is the one that stuck with me in February in Houston at the Super Bowl when I was on the air doing the Falcons, and here's the game slipping away. And during a commercial break, it just kind of hit me. Win or lose, you still have a job that you have to do to broadcast that game. Whether you're the voice of the Falcons, the voice of the Patriots, the voice of whoever, if your team's winning or losing, you've got to do that. You've got to get through that job. And that's your job. That's what you're there to do. 
And so that served me well a lot at Georgia Tech. I mean, you know, I've had great moments, great players, uh, great victories. But at the same time, there have been some tough losses, too. And when that happens, you always remember, you know, hey, win or lose, you got a job to do here. And while you may be really disappointed at night's end, you still got to find a way to do your job. And, uh, and those two pieces of advice have, have, uh, <laughs> have served me pretty well, I should say. So now what was it like doing the play-by-play in the Super Bowl and then ultimately seeing how it's falling apart, as you had mentioned, during the game? It's a high and low. I mean, it's a, it's a roller coaster ball game. I mean, Atlanta plays so very well for really two and a half quarters. And then all of a sudden, it's a little bit like uh, water dripping on your forehead. And you can see the, you can see the, the tidal wave coming. And you can't get out of the water. And, uh, you know, when with about six minutes to go in the fourth quarter is, is when that, that thought of my dad's came back to me. And from that point on, I, I really did try to focus on finishing the game because it was hard. It's, it's still hard for some. In my business, though, and in my professional life, Richmond, I've learned to kind of flush it not long after it happens. And yeah, I was really disappointed that night because I knew how hard Coach Quinn and that team had worked and I knew what the momentum would be like for the city and the organization and things of that nature. But, you know, and Monday was a hard day, but I had a job to do Wednesday night. I had to fly home on Monday and go get back on a plane Tuesday and go to Miami to do a basketball game. And I knew I would be asked a lot about it, but at the same time, I kind of had to move on pretty quick. And there are other people, fans in particular, who I've seen this summer who still have a hard time with it. But in all honesty, it, it's crushing. It's very disappointing. But at the same time, you have this optimism that that hopefully you're going to have an opportunity to be back on that stage again soon. And, and maybe those guys will get it done. Because, I mean, that's the part you ask about the emotional ties. And I think any guy who's tied to an organization through a broadcast will tell you, you have a innate ability to know in some respects how hard they've worked to get there. And when they come up short or very disappointed at the result in that opportunity, the next chance is not guaranteed. And, you know, you think about that a lot more than you think about how it happened in the game. You think about how hard they worked to get to that opportunity, then not to see it happen. Now, what's harder to call play-by-play, basketball or football? Uh, it's all the same to me, and that's a really boring answer, and I apologize. Uh, it, the momentum of the game is completely different. Uh, I usually break it down for people. You know, when I went to to television, basketball on TV is a lot of fun, and it's an analyst game. TV is an analyst game. I enjoy the play-by-play craft of television, but I have to be careful not to be a part of the obvious in, in television. The NFL on radio is a completely different game than the college game on radio. It's a faster game. It's, uh, you know... Obviously, the personnel, it's a lot different number of players, things of that nature. But I enjoyed both sports immensely. And I've also enjoyed the pace and and temperament that college baseball has. I think the game is too long, but I enjoy doing college baseball because, again, work with really good people. It's an analyst game. And when you work with an analyst who who understands college baseball and the thinking of those coaches and the ability of those players, that makes that very enjoyable as well, too. What was so intriguing about TV that ultimately led you to leave Georgia Tech? Well, it's a, the short answer, and it's a long story, but the real short answer of it is, Richmond, that I wanted, I didn't want to end my career with regret. 
And I just wanted to see if I was any good doing television, to be honest. I had done maybe, you know, a couple dozen 16 baseball games on TV through my years at Georgia Tech. Uh, had maybe done one or two basketball games, had never done football on television. And so I got into a situation where uh, the 2013 season, Georgia Tech was going to have four Saturdays off. And I'm represented by a firm here in Atlanta and talked to my uh, agent, my representative. And I said, hey, look, I'd like to do one or two TV games if, if it's something that that you know you think we can do. And he said, yeah, well, let me make a couple phone calls. And we started the ball rolling. And... To be honest with you, I, a lot of people tell me it's about timing in, in my career and in your life, and maybe so, but I saw a lot more college football games being televised, and I wanted to see if I'd be any good, and, and maybe if people like me, then maybe there'd be a full schedule somewhere down the road. I didn't know it would be in the ACC, and I got involved in doing some screen tests for analysts on packages and enjoyed it, and they liked me a lot more than I thought they would. And so unbeknownst to me, while I was screen testing the analysts they were going to select, they, uh, they were screen testing me. And um, they offered me a full package of games and really caught me by surprise. And at the end of the day, it was, uh, it was an unbelievable opportunity. The people at Raycom and the people at Fox Sports South have just been unbelievable to work with. And, and I had to make a decision inside of about four days. And a little bit of a leap of faith, I bet on me somewhat. And uh, Victoria, my wife and I decided if we were going to do it, this would be the time to do it. So four years ago, after 18 years, I just decided I was going to step away. Now, there were two positives in the package. One, it was going to be ACC football and basketball, Richmond. I mean, I love the league. I, I know the league's history. I'm proud of the league's history. And number two, I knew most of the people I was going to be involved with from a television perspective, at least on the producer side. And that really helped too, given the timing. Now, were there ever any aspirations to follow your dad in his footsteps at North Carolina? Not really. It was, believe it or not, there was, sure, it would have been fun to go to Carolina. It would have been a nice story. But at some point, this becomes a business. And it was going to be a business move. I was doing the NFL in Georgia Tech. Unbelievable support from both entities. At the time, Dan Radakovich was the athletic director at Georgia Tech. Uh, Mr. Blank and Rich McKay of the Falcon organization, Richmond, since Dave and I started doing the games in 2004, they have been unbelievable to us. And we are so grateful for the incredible support that Mr. Blank and Rich and the coaching staffs we've worked with have given us in, in doing college games like Dave and I do on Saturday. We do separate games, but then we're there to do their game on Sunday. And I didn't want to take that for granted. And so it was going to have to be a big, big business move for me to go anywhere. And my wife is from Georgia. My kids were here, things of that nature from my first marriage. And I wasn't willing to risk those relationships and those dynamics just for the chance to follow my dad for sure. And so now what's your thoughts on the this digital movement <laughs> and conferences creating their own networks? You know, can this be sustained? Absolutely. Um, I think it's the it's the way we're headed. On a lot of fronts, I think the technology is something that you're challenged as a fan to stay in touch with. Uh, you're certainly challenged as somebody working in the business to stay in touch with it uh, and understand how it works and understand how blogs and social media in a positive way can can help your message, not only as a as a school, but as a conference. And I think, you know, you've seen good things from the SEC, good things from the Big Ten. I think the Pac-12 has been handcuffed a little bit because they don't have quite the 
subscriber base that I think they're hoping for. Uh, and I think the ACC is really going to take this thing and, and kind of move it to another level because one of the things they're going to look at doing is they're going to take it and, and be mindful of the over-the-top platforms as well, the tablet, the phone, desktop, things of that nature. Those are going to be big, big pieces moving forward, not just the ACC, but in these other college networks as well. And I'm very optimistic about, about where this is going in 2019 for the ACC. And at the same time as a broadcaster, Richmond, you have to also be mindful that, you know, you're involved in this. And so you got to make sure that your social message and your social brand, or as I like to tell young people, that your own personal dot com is in order, that you feel confident about the messages and the images you're portraying about you and what you're doing, whether they be, you know, purely social, like me hitting golf shots or being with friends or something of that nature, as opposed to hey, look, here's, uh, here's who I think will win the Coastal Division this fall and why type thing. That, that also has to be important as you move forward in something like this too. Now, how have you been able to embrace the social media as- <laughs> aspect? Well, for 51, I think I'm doing pretty good. I, uh, I think I'm a decent follow on Twitter. Most of it is sports related. Some of it is, uh, you know, my, my kids graduating or stuff about my dad who is, uh, who's battling a neurocognitive disorder now. Uh, I think on Instagram, I'm okay. I have a Facebook page where I put things out there. Uh, as we get closer to the season, the week of the Super Bowl last year, I put all of my game charts and some of the other things I was doing for the broadcast because I wanted to take people behind the curtain of what was going to be the biggest broadcast I'd ever done. And I thought that, you know, I got some good traction from that. And so I think there too, like, you know, stories of inspiration, things of that nature, things that I find neat about our industry that I will retweet from time to time. And then there are other things too, appearances on radio stations, your podcast, things of that nature. I think that's also pretty important too. Now, through your career, you've seen a lot of athletes, a lot of great teams and great players, but who have you seen that you would describe as, that's the best player I've seen on football or best player I've seen in basketball? Well, who are some of those superstars? Best college football player that I saw, and I'm biased, is Calvin Johnson. I think Calvin Johnson is one of the most spectacular athletes and really spectacular people that I've ever been around. I would I would say professionally, you know, the the growth of Matt Ryan as a professional quarterback has has really been fun for me to watch. You know, from completing his first professional pass for a 62-yard touchdown to Michael Jenkins to, you know, being the MVP a year ago. You know, I, I think it's been it's been a unique pleasure to watch to watch that happen. And again, as I said earlier, when you, you go behind the curtain with these guys and you know how hard they work, it's really something that uh, that impresses you and, and makes you privileged to to kind of witness. So that's big. I, I think that uh, outside of people that I've been in direct contact with, Tom Brady is is remarkable in person. Every time I've I had a chance to meet him uh, briefly a few years ago when the Patriots and Falcons had uh, combined practices in the preseason. And just was a very genuine guy. And then the uh, the other thing is when I, when I've seen him live in the three regular season four four games now that I've done live of regular season or postseason play with the Patriots and Falcons, he's been just remarkable. From a professional perspective, I'll always remember Matt Harpering and Tim Duncan as college players because I, I thought so much of Harpering as as a worker to get to where he went that I always think about Matt in that light. And then Tim Duncan, because of his grace, I just, 
I really was impressed. I told Dave Odom this in the games we worked. I, I'm so impressed with the grace that Tim Duncan played not only college basketball, but his entire NBA career with. And I've often said if we had a lot more Tim Duncans in this world, I think sports would be a lot better vehicle for, for younger people and a younger generation. Outside of football and basketball, fortunate to get to know uh, a handful of uh, PGA Tour players who either were from Georgia Tech or guys in the Atlanta area. Uh, Stuart Sink is, is still one of my favorites simply because of the way he goes about his business and his hard work. And Mark Teixeira is another one, to be honest, Richmond. I, I met Mark Teixeira as, a, as an 18-year-old freshman who bypassed multi-million dollar deal as a first-round pick of the Red Sox and came to Georgia Tech for three years. And he had a lot of gifts that the Lord had blessed him with. And he worked his rear end off here for three years to be better. And guys like that who are really, really good and work really, really hard are always bound to be some of your favorites because they're not going to stand for just what you think they are. They want to be better than that. And that always is very memorable to me as I move through my career. So now, Wes, as we're finishing up here, how would you describe what sports has meant to you in your life? Mm. Um, I don't know where I'd be without it. Uh, that's one. I, I think that I, I think you have to be willing to take and understand that there's a lot of really, really good, but sometimes you got to go through some bad to get to some good. And I'm one of those people that understands there's there's a win and a loss in this thing, Richmond. And uh, you know, I, I feel very blessed to have made a career out of being involved in something I love, and that's that's a big, big part of it. I, I think that you know it's helped. It's helped me establish a career, a pretty good life. It's been a great lesson in terms of uh, being humble, understanding winning, understanding defeat and accepting it and handling it the right way. And I think that there's a lot of things about sports that, that can help us all as we as we grow up in life and go through life, even, you know, celebratory events or dramatic life changing events. I, I think we we can learn a lot from sports that help carry us through that stuff. Now, you had also mentioned you know, being a mentor and paying mm. it forward. So for our listeners, what's your words of wisdom? <laughs> I always ask that out of, of our guests. Well, I, I think mine's pretty simple. And believe it or not, it's something Julius Irving said years and years ago. And I didn't read it until about 10 years ago. And it's a pretty simple quote. He said, being a professional means doing something you love on days you don't feel like doing it. And that's exactly right, because we're all professionals and if you do it, you do it because you love doing it. Well, you really got to be a professional on days you don't feel like doing it. You know, I mean, you know, if the schedule gets you down or things aren't going your way and you still got a job to do. And I, I thought he pretty much wrapped up because I love doing what I do. And I'm blessed that they pay me to do it because I would do it for free, but they'd have to give me really good parking. Um, but uh, I... Uh, the days you don't feel like doing it are the days you really got to be a professional. And, uh, and those are the, those are challenging days, but it doesn't distract from the fact that you love what you do. Well, I greatly appreciate you sharing that. And uh, Dr. J definitely was a person that I looked up to as well. And Wes, thank you for sharing your time, your story. I greatly appreciate it. And I look forward to continuing hearing you as the voice of the Atlanta Falcons. Thanks, Richmond. I appreciate it. Now, Wes could have easily tried to ride the coattails of his dad, Woody Durham, but he knew he wanted to make his own way. And now he obviously leaned on his dad for advice and helping him make connections early on. But Wes is, can no doubt confidently stand on his own merits 
where he is today, and as he said, because his dad is Woody Durham, he wanted to carve out his own reputation. And you know, and I also think it's fascinating how some of these guys like Wes can go from the radio booth, then to the TV booth, and it's obvious that there is a difference between the two, and Wes even talked about that, and just how in radio, you're much more of a storyteller, having to paint a picture for the listener, and to be honest, I'm not sure that that is something that you can necessarily train to do. Now, you might be able to improve on that skill to a certain degree, but I truly believe that the best of the best, they're the ones that just have this God-given talent of being able to tell a story through words and then being able to do it in the heat of the moment describing live action. And in my mind, that's just true art. And no doubt, Wes didn't fall far from this tree of his dad, for sure. And speaking of his dad, Woody, I hope all of you heard Wes mention that his dad is battling aphasia, which is a neurocognitive disorder, and it's causing him to lose his ability to communicate with his voice. It's somewhat related to dementia and Alzheimer's. An awareness campaign has been started, and you can help by purchasing a Go Where You Go t-shirt. And all of the proceeds from the sales of the t-shirts will go toward funding aphasia research and programs in North Carolina. The slogan, Go Where You Go, is part of the famous phrase, which is, Go Where You Go and Do What You Do. And Woody would say that whenever there was a dramatic moment in a game and he was urging all of the Tar Heel faithful to practice their most trusted superstition. And the t-shirts are only $15, and they can be purchased at the Chapel Hill Sportswear website, which is chapelhillsportswear.com. And again, all of the proceeds go directly to Aphasia Research, and the t-shirts are only $15. So I hope you do visit chapelhillsportswear.com and support the cause with purchasing a t-shirt. And now let's finish episode 22 with the weekly Words of Wisdom. Keeping encouragement and motivation rich. Keeping encouragement and motivation rich. Let's explore the weekly words of wisdom. The weekly words of wisdom this episode come from legendary University of Alabama football head coach Paul Bear Bryant, where he helped the Crimson Tide win six national championships. And one thing's for sure is that you don't win one national championship, let alone six, without always being prepared. And that's why I like understanding how some of these people like West Durham, how do they prepare and what goes into being successful? Because it's not just about showing up. It's also about being prepared. And so here's Coach Bryant's quote in his terms of preparation. He says, it's not the will to win that matters. Everyone has that. It's the will to prepare to win that matters. And that rings so true in every aspect of our lives. And no doubt that should be a focal point for each of us each and every day. Now, episode 22 comes to a close. And remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Takes Sports. Thanks for listening. 